Welcome to the Elijah Fire Podcast, where we jump into issues of today with faith and freedom instead of fear. And now here's your host, Jeff Tharp. Hey guys, welcome to Elijah Fire episode 388. I am Illumination Spencer. I am the producer of Elijah Fire, but today I am your host. I'm still filling in for Jeff. He's still a little bit under the weather, so continue to pray for him and pray for his wife, Lauren, um, just that they they can get better and um, be fully healed in Jesus' name. So keep those prayers coming. We really appreciate it, you guys. Um, today is February 13th. 2024 i still can't believe we're like already halfway through february almost like what happened what happened to january you guys what happened to february i don't know what's going on time is moving entirely too fast but we're super super close to episode 400 as well so guys drop your ideas in the comments for us i'm going to be taking a look at those later um we would love to hear what you guys want us to do for episode 400 it's going to be lit so um, I think that's it for my announcements. And yeah, follow us on Spotify and all of our social media pl- platforms. Obviously, we're on Instagram, also on TikTok. But make sure you follow, like, subscribe, do all the things, drop us all the hearts, review us, give us five stars, all that good stuff. Drop a comment. Tell us how much you loved the episode. So anyway, we want to jump right into this episode because I am so excited to interview our guest today, Rima Trainer. We had such a great conversation last episode with Jeff. I don't remember the episode number off the top of my head, but it was a couple of weeks ago we talked about the new way, and Rayma is very good about talking about the new structures of Church 379. This is kind of a part two to this episode, um, to episode 379, and we're going to be jumping off right where we left off last time. So, Let's give it up for Rayma Trainer. Hey, Rayma. Hey. How are you? Good. How about you? Good, good. Awesome. Good. Okay. So, like I said, we are just following up with a part two to, three, to episode 379. We called it the new way. So, you talked about how the church structure, like, we're already in the new church structure now like we're we're like in it we've been waiting for it to kind of shift and now we're like in the shift right now so things are kind of like it feels a little (laughs) rocky it's a little it's a little awkward you know we're trying to figure it out so i'm really excited to continue the conversation um we were talking about last time how uh the differences between community groups church hubs and really the definitions of those terms so why don't you just jump off to kind of define like What's the difference between a hub, a house church, community group? Like, what, what, what is the definition of what we're actually pursuing here? Sure, yeah, and I think, um, you know, for those who maybe didn't hear last time or who are jumping in fresh, um, I think one of the reasons why language is so important is because it gives us a framework to understand. You know, so oftentimes we can, especially in a time of transition, like you talked about you know, hey, we're kind of, we've kind of entered the new, if you will. So, you know, there were many years where people were like, the new wineskin is coming. There's Mm -hmm. gonna be a new wineskin. Get ready for the new. And so now like prophetically and practically, like we are in that place that we used to talk about was coming. And so what we now are experiencing is a transition season. And so we're not transitioning into it. It exists. God has, has begun to, it's been born, right? But now we've got this interesting middle, you know, where you're seeing the new emerge. But at the same time with that is coming a lot of confusion, probably not mostly on purpose, 
But with that, there always can be confusion, right? In the midst of reform, there can be much confusion if there's not clarity. And so a lot of why God's bringing clear language and why we have to kind of mean, well, what do you say when you say that? Well, what do you say when you say this? Because, mm-hmm. you know, what God is doing, you know, I say a lot, like it's, it's not new, but it's new to us, um, you know? So we're going back to the ancient past, the Olam, the ever enduring ways, you know, Jeremiah 6, 16, you know, stand at the ways and look, look for what the good way is and walk in it, right? He's talking right. about the ancient path, um, the place that is ever enduring. And so we're, we're in the midst of returning, right? We're going back to that, mm-hmm. but what has to happen for us to fully go back to that is the ways of man have to be removed. And then we have to understand, well, what is that good way? <laughs> what right. are those ancient paths? Because th- many of them have not been uh, prevalent in our time. And so we're not going to get to the new by just naming the old things, new names. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if God is really doing a new thing, that's really ancient paths, ancient foundations mm-hmm. we're gonna and what that really means. Um, and so part of what I've been you know, teaching quite a bit about is how do we define um, these new things that God is doing? And, and, you know, why aren't they this other thing? Because sometimes it's good to know what something is, but you also have to understand what it is not. Right. Because when you understand what it isn't, it also gives you a framework to really, you know, be true to the to the core of of something. Um, and so I think that, yeah, that's that's really important. And I think last time, you know, we were talking quite a bit about uh, house churches and, you know, what what even is a house church? We've talked about that a few times on here. Um, why is a house church not, you know, what some would call a community group or a life group? And, you know, how come we can't just get, you know, gather on Sunday and then we have our Wednesday night house churches, which are really just community groups. Um, and what are some of the major distinctions in that? So um, I won't you know, cause, cause in scripture, we have different ways of gathering, right? So you look through the Bible, you see that the church would gather in, in big ways. It would gather in small ways. Um, there's nothing wrong with being in a large group of believers. There's nothing wrong with being in a small group of believers, right. but then outside of just that thing of saying, well, you need big and you need small in your life. Well, then many people take that and they say, okay, cool. Well, then we can define what big is. We can define what small is. It can be any kind of big, any kind of small. And this is where we're needing definition. What are the ways that we should be gathering in large structure and format? What are the ways we should be gathering small? How do they work together? Why are they both important? What's the leadership like in those spaces? What's the intention of those spaces? What's the expected fruit of those spaces? What's you know? And then you really start asking the right questions and you can understand why they're both important. But not just in and of themselves. As long as we're gathering in a big way, as long as we're gathering in a small way, we're doing it. No, not necessarily. Because God is expecting a certain fruit from the body. He's expecting maturity. And so in order to produce maturity, he's actually giving us blueprints where we really can walk in a way that's mature. So a lot of what, you know, the the completion, I guess, of these two episodes will, will highlight is why God is kind of establishing these two different frameworks. This is deeply what I believe and what I'm building. Mm-hmm. This is why God is establishing these two different frameworks, the hub, which I'll talk about a lot more in this episode and the houses in different regions and spheres. When I say a sphere, which I won't go too deep into this because it might be even more of a mind scramble that is like a little, it's okay. <laughs> for this setting. But a sphere is, you know, someone's, place where their authority, where their metron is recognized, right? The Bible talks about this. I won't 
teach on yeah it. i i've heard about that before i think actually we Devonte Edmonds might have mentioned that at one point i think when he broke down what an apostle's functions are i think yeah so everybody i think if you go back to the teaching series he did on the fivefold and listen to the episode on the apostle i think that's where it's mentioned so if you guys okay. want more yeah because paul speaks to the corinthian church yeah and he says you know we're speaking i'm we're speaking to you because you are in our sphere <laughs> in yes. other words my the authority the assignment god's given me my metron it is recognized you are in a sphere an area a jurisdiction where my metron is authorized right so god yeah. he authorizes us all of us have a a sphere of authority, a sphere of influence, and you know the the measure. That's what Metron means. What God has given to us functions within that space. Um. Anyway, so I don't know why I got on Metrons and spheres, but I was talking about <laughs> something it's else. That wasn't of, of like authority. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, what was no. I saying? Oh no, you're. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I know we're so, talking about hubs and houses and hubs and houses. Yeah. So I mean, the other thing to um definitely getting to definitions well and i know we want to definitely hit that but one question that i had as i was re-listening to that episode yesterday um you you're talking about how this is an it's a new way but it's also not a new way it's an ancient way so my question is how did we lose the plot <laughs> like where where did we where did we stray so far as to where like this is now the new this is the new way it's so foreign to us but this is actually what god laid out in acts in the early church like how did how did we get from there to here and why is the definition so messy mm. that's yeah. a great question actually and i think that that could help bring clarity to others too on well why do we need to change it what's the big deal mm -hmm. um so in in about 313 um in rome Right. So remember, at the time of the early church, Rome is the empire. Everyone is a part of Rome, essentially. Even, you know, Jerusalem is a part of Rome. Like in Jesus's time, they were a Roman occupied territory. Right. So Rome really has kind of conquered the world. Um, and so biblical, like first century church, all, you know, all through the early church, we are speaking to a Roman conquered people who are in a Greco-Roman, you know, mentality and, and environment and culture. and so. In, you know, through the times of the early church, kind of exploring and, and discovering what does it mean to be the, the oikos of God, the family of God, and how are we supposed to function, you know, in the gifts of the spirit and the, the ways of Christ and, you know, we're followers of the way. And you had all this, you know, emerging and developing within the people of God. But then, you know, as people go on, obviously, you know, man happens and we're, we put a system in place, mm -hmm. you know, and then we love systems. So we put a little bit more system in the system and we put one more level to the levels and we put, you know, and then it kind of loses yeah. a bit of its organic nature, which there's nothing wrong with systems. Systems can actually be a blessing, but there's systems that bring life and systems that bring death systems that bring life or organic in nature. And they can move in order to sustain life. Think of the body as a system. Right. So the, the systems sustain life versus create restriction that actually ends up producing death. And so as you go through the, the you know, first, second, third century, you end up in the, the beginning of the third century. The church is very um, weak at that time because of the levels of persecution. So when you go through the different, um, you know, persecutions that broke out from the early church through to Rome becoming a Christian society, which was, con which was Constantine. Okay. But then there was a lot of mixture in that. 
And so before 313, 318, which I believe the battle was in um, 313, and then by 318, there kind of began that shift to Rome becoming a Christian nation or a Christian empire. But um, and that's when empire began. But anyway, um, and so as you get to kind of the start of the 300s AD, you've got a church that's pretty weak because of just the mass persecution. So the persecution has been so heavy. So many of the leaders have been martyred that you've got a pretty weak um, body, you know. And so then you've got uh, just fierce persecution. You have um, the battle of um, oh, I can't think of the name right now, but I've written about it several times. And spoke about it, but the battle where Constantine um, goes into kind of an unwinnable war, he sees a vision of a cross in the sky, he hears conquer in this name, he kind of takes that as, oh, okay, like, this is Jesus, um, you know, the son of God telling me to conquer in his name, they win this unwinnable war. So he comes back and he kind of, he he's like, okay, well, now we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to be a Christian society. And so prior to 300, the church is very, um, you know, there was a cost to being a believer, probably your life, most likely, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a purity when there is persecution. So no one wishes for persecution, but what persecution does is it, it, it produces a pure church. Mm -hmm. And so then you go into a time by the, by 325, I think it was like official that now Rome is a Christian nation. And so what happened was there was no longer a cost. There was no longer a confession of faith. There was no longer really anything necessarily. I don't even think Constantine was baptized until right before he died. So, oh, the battle of Milvian Bridge might be the battle. He's saying, um, you know, whatever battle Constantine was in, I'm sure you can find it. It's in 318 or three, uh, or sorry, 313 or 318 might be 313. But um, basically there, there stopped being a cost. To being a mm -hmm. or stop being the repentance that leads to life, right? So we we see the entry of cultural Christianity. Okay, so no longer yeah. you have to give up your idols to follow Jesus. Now we just changed your idols into something that makes sense within the new Christianity. And so you know, no longer do we worship the God Soul who was born on December twenty fifth, but now we're going to worship Jesus on December twenty fifth because He's also the Son of God. So it's everything became just really convoluted and there was no long, it, be, it was the entry of mixture to the church. Mm -hmm. But then not only culturally did everything, you know, change where there was no longer a price or a cost, but it became official. You became, well, are you Roman? Then you're a Christian. It became a different. Gotcha. And so we understand that in America where, you know, the cultural Christianity, well, you know, I grew up in church. It's like, do you love right. Jesus? Is he the Lord of your life? Is he controlling your decisions? So, so we have this parallel that we can understand in our culture. This is what, what became kind of the, the paramount there. But then when we come to the structure, which is kind of what we're talking about today, in Rome, there was a Roman imperial cult. Okay, this was the primary, and Rome had many gods. You know, it's, it's a uh, Greco-Roman, um, you know, pantheon of gods. You have Zeus at the top. You know, and then you've got Apollo, you've got Jupiter, mm -hmm. you've got, you know, all these different kind of primary God, Diana. You remember, you know, the outrage and acts when, you know, Paul is messing with uh, the, the, the money, basically, of all the idol makers. And they're just like, you know, Diana of the Ephesians. And so everybody was basically upset about or not upset, but they were scared of upsetting the gods, the pantheon of gods. And if you were to upset the gods, it would disrupt Roman culture. And so that's why they were very committed 
to the Roman imperial cult, the sacrifices to Jupiter, the, you know, this whole system they had going on. And basically what happened when you go into now Christianity has become a Roman thing. It became disassociated with the Jewish heritage. So they separated that out. They moved out of all the feasts. They moved out of any association. That's why Jesus looks white in all mm. of, look at, because past, he became Italian, <laughs> Italian Jesus. It, they literally took it on board and it was a reform that wasn't of God. Yeah. Of all of our ways and practices down to every kind of thing we do when we meet. Wow. So the structure of the gatherings changed. No long, People were no longer allowed to meet in homes, right? All wow. sacred things needed to take place in the temple, right? In the, the church building. This is when they started instituting the bishops and all this stuff in a very, very organized, you know, and it became political and it became, um, you know, just, just man-made, you know, very corrupt. And um, yeah, that's where the, the extreme mixture, the extreme shifting of the way we gather, how we gather, who leads when we gather, the people weren't allowed to like speak. This is where we get the lay people, the layman versus the one on the stage um, platform, all this stuff. Like this was not a part of the blueprint of our faith. Wow. So it, the mixture runs so deep that I'm pretty sure most people would not know or it would, it just disrupts so much that we think is normal and fine. And so when we talk about returning back to the blueprint of acts, you know, I talk about a lot. It's not like we need to do all the things they did exactly how they did it. And also we're going to wear robes because that's what they wore and sandal, you know, like it's not mm-hmm. every single thing the same, but what it is about is uprooting the ways of man that have made their way into God's way. And in order to really find what is God's way, we have to go back to the beginning and we have to pull out the ancient path, the ancient way. And we need to disregard almost the ways that have been added without dishonoring the people that have served God through that. Because God has worked with us through our history. God has worked with like, it's not bad and wrong and evil because God has been weaving his way through it. God has been with us through all of it. And he's still with us now, but we have to have an ear to him where he's saying, Hey, we're shifting. Things are changing. Follow Mm -hmm. me. That's the premise of our whole entire faith is follow me. Right. That we're followers of Jesus, not structures. And so when Jesus is shifting things into an alignment, what might he require of you or me? Well, he might require everything. That's the premise of the gospel is the death unto self and the life in Christ. So this is especially for leaders where we've built these structures, where we've built these, um, you know, these containers, let's say, for what God has been doing in the past. And I believe that God is saying now I, I want different containers because I want the structure to support life. I want what you're building to raise mature saints. So much of what we're doing is after a pattern that's not scriptural. And so that's kind of the the premise of where did we go wrong? So big question, but good, good yeah. question. Because I don't yeah. think a lot of people really understand that era. No, and I, I didn't know when you when you break it down like that, it makes sense to me. Like I'm like, okay, yeah, I can see, I can see how that had so much influence to where everything 
shifted. So yeah, I'm really glad that we covered that because I was like, how how did we even get there? But it's it's good to it's good it's really really good to know. So now that we kind of have an understanding of what happened, what is the can you just like straightforward like define what a hub means like what is the new structure thanks for listening the elijah fire podcast is made possible by donations like yours to become a partner visit elijahfire.com slash give i guess the new ancient structure new slash old structure that we're returning to um like just kind of a i know it it might be a little bit hard to describe but maybe just kind of a as point blank of a definition as you can of what what we mean by when we say hubs or house churches or what, what is this new system going to look like? Sure. So, um, let me, let me answer that by first saying, <laughs> just cause like, yeah. I, sometimes I know that when I teach this kind of stuff a lot, like for people to understand something, they need to understand something else first. Right. Yes. You know? It's all in layers. It's, it's very layered. So if you just yeah. start with defining things that people don't have anywhere to put, it, yeah. it just kind of falls off. You're like, I don't get that. Yeah, um, go for it. But it, it, it kind of starts with, I'm not sure how, how deeply we went into this last week, but it starts with understanding what is the mission of the church, like internally. Mm-hmm. So, so not only what, you know, what are we supposed to do? I think most people could quote you the great commission. Okay, go into all the world and make disciples. Right. But I don't think most people understand, like, how do we get to that? Like, how, how are we mature enough to do that? Because when we look around at the church today, it's not mature. We don't yeah. see people doing that on mass. That's not the t- typical life of a believer. So what is making the church so immature that we actually aren't able to fulfill the mission God gave us? And mm-hmm. so we have to then look deeper and then we have to define things like discipleship. So again, it comes to defining, it comes to um, having an understanding for what we mean when we say blank. And so when I teach about discipleship, I believe that discipleship, which is the requirement to produce mature saints. And what is the answer? What is Jesus's answer to the world? Is it the fivefold ministry? No, it's mature saints in every sphere of society. It's Matthew 13, 33, I believe, where it says the woman was kneading the, the yeast into the dough until it was fully everywhere in the dough. It cannot be separated. This is what the kingdom of God looks like and ascending the sent ones that are sent into the world with the kingdom. So in order to create sent ones, disciples of Jesus, they must be matured, which is discipleship. But you ask me, well, what's discipleship? They have 15,000 definitions for what it is and how you do it. But in order to create maturity, someone must be spiritually formed. There's something everybody needs, right? We've talked about this mm-hmm. a little bit with house church. There's something everybody needs. You need prayer. You need spiritual family. You need to read the word. You need to obey the word. You need to, um, you know, be seen, be heard, grow in, in fellowship, be, have committed relationships. Like these are the things that develop basic maturity in every single follower of Christ. Right. Right. You need deliverance. You, you do everybody, like everybody. Yes. I will never backtrack on that. You need deliverance. You need healing. Like, this is the first things that people did when they brought you into the church, like in the early, like second century, they started writing this stuff down when they would bring people into the church. First thing, renunciation of all your idols. Wow. Renounce your idols. You know, then there was baptism. There was learning the gospel there. You know, there's basic things that we've taken out of the process. And we wonder why people are so broken 20, 30 years on. They didn't even learn how to renounce their idolatry. Yeah. They didn't even get delivered in the beginning. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, you know, you go, you, 
go to a church service and they do an altar call or they, you know, you pray the sinner's prayer or whatever, but then there's not follow-up steps of, you know, and this can vary with denomination too, I guess, but like, there's no follow-up of like infilling with the Holy Spirit or even like, you know, like even full repentance of idolatry or whatever it is, or even that deliverance step to fully Mm -hmm. like bring them out like and i think i uh kelsey o'malley might have mentioned this before but she had mentioned on the show where it's we're not full like what are you saved from you know if you're not being fully brought out of all that stuff what are you being saved from and i think that's a really good thing to consider for talking about discipleship and what it actually means to follow christ what 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 are we leaving behind if if we're entering into the church or enter entering into the way Yeah. And that, that part of exiting out of the world and coming into the family of God, there's actually a setting where we change. There's a setting, there's a place for that. Right. And if we're, if we're going to really, you know, become like Jesus, there's two types of communion that we're called to communion with God, communion with others. So we have to be in a place where communion can really be happening. That means, you know, the connection, the life we change in relationship. We change in relationship to God and we change in relationship to people. And so it's really not about a seven week class to teach people how to renounce all their old ways, teach them a couple Bible scriptures and teach them a vision of the church. They have to be in solid and ongoing relationships where they can really begin to process and deal with their past, get freedom and begin to function in the family of God. And then slowly, you know, maturing into that basic formation. And so that's when we teach about the house. That's the point of the house. It's to mature every believer into just basic realities of Christ, the basic maturity that every Christian needs. But then you have on the other side of discipleship, you've got so formation on this side, and that's where the house is there. That's to teach us to be like something, be like Jesus. Then you've got over here, we need to do something. So we're not just a family of God. We're an army of God. Mm-hmm. All right. Now you're not going to de- have the same development and equipping in a house church that you can have. Like that's where the fivefold ministry comes in predominantly. Um, well, there's different functions of the fivefold ministry, but yeah. you know, one of them is to equip the saints in order mm-hmm. that they might become mature. And so over in the house, you've got saints, maturing saints, people who are mature and willing, you know, and then over here, you've got something I'll call the hub which is how we're accomplishing to do the work of the ministry. This is raising people up into maturity that is specialized. So if every believer is called to reach their metron in Christ, so think about how people, you know, what's my calling? What's my assignment? When you go in Ephesians 4 and it talks about that, we all might attain to the measure of the fullness of Christ. So the fullness of Christ, Christ, the revelation of a mature Christ on the earth is dependent on the revelation of a mature bride. So Mm -hmm. us growing into maturity, this is why we're commanded, hey, grow up, be mature. That's why the the whole goal of leadership is to raise mature people, mature saints, because as we all grow mature, the revelation of Christ becomes more clear. And so together we're carrying that and every person has their peace. And so as people are matured, not only in their spiritual formation to be like Jesus, but in their unique metron, every person has a unique assignment. They need to be matured in that which might require some different things. It's not one size fits all, just Mm -hmm. like college isn't one size fits all training. Isn't one size fits all. And so there has to be a context where people can get what they need to grow into who they are. 
right? So as everybody grows into who they are, we become the mature body. And so that's one function of the fivefold ministry. But the fivefold ministry, when we look at scripture, they're functioning in a more regional capacity. They're not like, well, this apostle is the apostle of such and such a church. And this apostle is the apostle of such and such a church. The only thing you ever really ever read is in this city, in that city. You know, even plural. In Antioch, there were prophets, teachers. Yeah. This isn't, there's, there's not, there's not like a, this individuality, right? That's not a biblical worldview. There's, there's people who are serving the saints in order to equip them and love them. When Paul speaks to the, um, I believe it's the Corinthian church. He says, I'm your father. And I think we talked about this maybe last week, or I've been on Mm -hmm. 17 shows this week. I don't even know what I'm I'm (laughs) hearing when I said somewhere else, but when Paul is talking about, you know, we, I am your father. Right. He's speaking to the mm-hmm. church. He he wasn't all of their father. Like he's not he's not all of their spiritual father. What he's talking right. about is the way he relates to them. He relates to them as children of God. He's relating to them in a father. He's praying for them. He has love for them. And he's basically comparing, hey, I'm your father. I'm not your um, pedagogue, I think is the way you pronounce it. And they were the slaves that were appointed to raise up the sons in Greek culture, Roman culture. And so he's saying, I'm not relating to you. You have many teachers. That's what he's saying. You have many teachers, yeah. but you have a few fathers. He's saying you have many pedagogues. You have many of these appointed slaves, you know, to teach you ways. And how much does that sound like the church to teach you the right things to do, but you have few fathers, right? So he's talking about a way of relating within the body. He's not saying I am everyone's discipleship plan. Mm-hmm. He's saying I'm relating to you in the way of a father. And so there's oh. a way that we're meant to relate. There's a way that we're meant to lead. But the actual discipleship of believers in their formative place is really coming in that house. And then the hub becomes an ecosystem. I talk about a relational ecosystem of leaders who are working together to do several things. You've got um, uh, so three different things that hubs do. One is to institute you know, the government of God in a region. And that has to deal with spiritual authority. And so you're actually dealing with the principalities, the powers, the things that are going on in the region. You're And you're training the saints to come into their place as the ecclesia. So yeah, they're getting, you know, their life is being taken care of in their family of God, their house. But then they're coming into this space where they're being trained, not only in their own skills and gifts and tools and stuff that they need to grow in, but they're also being trained how to collectively come and give the amen of the ecclesia. They'll let it be established as it is in heaven on earth, right? You're training them how to govern in the spirit realm, in the territory where they live so that we can mobilize. This is another function of the hub that we're mobilizing believers to go out and take their sphere, to go out into the place where God's called them so they can reach the metron that God has assigned to them that we all might reveal who Jesus is. Yeah. That like takes the whole like on earth as in heaven uh, to a whole new like level in a sense. So like it brings that into context of like what we're actually supposed to be doing. Like how do we actually do that? It's through this, it's through this way. Yeah. And so what it requires to function in a hub is a revelation and understanding of cluster, mm-hmm. a revelation of team leadership. It takes fivefold leaders who aren't in competition, who really, truly have dealt with insecurity, who know who they are and who they're not, who can function in honor, who are not afraid of their own weakness, 
who are not afraid of what they're not good at. Every leader is bad at something. Every leader. I'm not saying you're full of sin. I'm saying you're just not good at everything. And so if you don't understand that about yourself, you'll try mm-hmm. to be the star. You try to do everything. And then it, it removes your honor for what other people are carrying because God particularly appoints people in different spheres. When you understand spheres, right? It's the place where your authority, your assignment, what God has given to you is able to function according to the spirit. It's God determines these spheres, right? This is what Paul says, as God determined my sphere. And it's, it includes you to the Corinthians. And so we have a sphere that God has determined. And when we function within that jurisdiction, we have authority. And so as everyone understands their sphere, you understand you're going to overlap with other people's spheres. And so you better be secure because there's not one single leader called to such and such a city. There's not one single leader called to such and such a a nation. And so if you don't understand how to honor, how to co-labor, how to, how to mutually submit to one another, how to hear and understand what the spirit is doing right now and with who insecure people cannot function like this. They need Mm -hmm. the structure because in order to have high freedom, you have to have high maturity. And in order to have high maturity, you have to deal with all your issues about needing to be the person, insecurity about your numbers, insecurity about what you're building, needing to be the voice all the time, you know, because when you start to function in a cluster, that's just not reality. You begin to bring who you are, but if you don't make space for what God is bringing through the others, and we don't know how to co-labor in that, then you know, then again, somebody tries to rise, be the top, be the one, be, you know, and, and that's not the new wineskin. So that's kind of like a, I guess, a start to hypothetically, you know, what is a hub, but a lot of people have been using this word, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, well, we're a local church, but we're just going to change our name to, instead of first Baptist, we're going to be first hub, you know, because it's a catchy new word. And we just have to be really careful because it, an apostolic hub, like, you know, there's lots of words, a kingdom center, an apostolic hub, a fivefold hub, a, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's not just a place where there's one of each fivefold operating to equip the saints. Equipping the saints is one piece of the function of a hub, right? There's many ways that a hub functions and it doesn't even function in one building. This is another thing, you know, people would say, oh, well, we need a hub. And they mean they need a building to function in mm-hmm. training. The, hu- the building is not the hub. Facilities serve the hub, but the hub is the ecosystem. The right. hub is the ecosystem of leaders that are working together in the region. And then the hub begins to expand because as you send out saints who are starting different ministries, who are doing different things that are in their heart, it all becomes a network of support and maturing that begins to, to take to infiltrate the region so that the saints can be sent out with maturity. That's when you have a mature expression of the hub where you cannot distinguish anymore whose ministry is what and who's in charge and who's the one person here and all of that. But it becomes so integrated that it's it's the bread. We're everywhere. And so that's, I believe, what God is birthing right now. You know, we he's needing us to function in the spirit, which requires such a different level of maturity than the body has had. You know, we're not supposed to just be getting delivered of like a spirit of rejection. We're supposed to be delivering regions from principalities. We can't even go there because the body is so full of demons. Mm -hmm. So in order to come into a place of regional governance, where we actually can bring the body into that 
ecclesia position, first we got to get free from the real demons that are going on. Yeah. Because you're in agreement with the things that are ruling in the region. You can't rule in the region mm-hmm. by principle. That stuff has to get out of you first before you take your seat of authority. Right. And so we just have so much to do in, in the maturing of the body. Mm-hmm. And so there's I mean, collective maturity that is required. Yeah. I mean, it even sounds like, because the Bible talks about like Christ is the head of the church. It almost sounds like the whole like, you know, you have a pastor and then you've got like the leadership team, like this kind of pyramid type structure is sort of like being reformed into like this web. And I guess because in our like in my mind, like in our American type minds, Western mindset, it's like, okay, well, then like who's in charge? Well, obviously, Jesus is in charge. But how do like how do I guess maybe this is the wrong way to approach this, but like that Bible also talks about elders. Like, how does that function? And like, yeah, yeah. Like covering and authority and all those things. Like, how does that function within the hub? And then also breaking it down into like the smaller groups that make up the hub. Cause you talked about it's the large and the small. Um, so maybe you can talk about that as well. So the, the smaller, the churches don't, they don't make up the hub. The churches are churches. Mm-hmm. The hub is a ecosystem of support mm-hmm. for the churches, but also bringing people from the churches in order to equip and train them that they might become who they are and take their seat of authority to govern in the region. Right. So, so there's okay. both of those functions going on there, but you're, it's not like a community group where we've right. got 10 community groups that are a part of X hub and they come into the hub to get trained and go back in their community groups. Now, is that better than a lot of other things? Probably. But I think mm-hmm. that's more of a transition model. Like I'm seeing people kind of transitioning to that and that's good. That's not, nothing's good or bad. We think it's like a step in the right direction. It's yeah, it's a, it's a much better step in, in a, in a good direction. Um, but I think when we come to the function of leadership, it's very different when you come into this kind of framework, because you've got the houses where, you know, those are saints leading saints. So when you go into first Timothy three, it talks about the diaconos and the episkopos. Okay. So the episkopos is the overseer. The diaconos is the one who does the work. These are words that are defined as um, the episkopos over defined as bishop, um, overseer, sometimes as elder. Um, And then you've got the diaconos, which is defined as the deacon sometimes, but I don't use those words because we think we know what that means. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'll use the Greek words because then people are like, I don't get that good. Cause then you won't try to predefine it. Right. So when you look at first Timothy three and you're looking at how it defines somebody who is an overseer of the work, and this was established in regions, right? You look at Paul sending Timothy, sending Titus, you know, to Crete, to Ephesus, he mm-hmm. sends them to the region that he might, they might establish leadership in the region. That's a different word, presbyteros, that they might establish leadership now, what kind of leadership? Well, all the kinds. There's different kinds of leadership that are functioning in different regions. So in the, the, the gathering together of the saints, the primary gathering together, you've got uh, the diaconos, who were people who were essentially, according to 1 Timothy 3, they're the people who are serving the needs of the people. They're doing the work of the ministry, in a sense, to facilitate health within the body. Now, what did that look like exactly in the early church? And what is it going to look like today? I think that there's some distinctions because of culture. But I think mm-hmm. the point is there's ones who do the work and there's ones who oversee the work. 
This is the primary work of shepherding, right? So that's what you see, the needs of the people. This starts in Acts 6 when you see Paul, you know, talking about, oh, you know, are the people come and they're, oh, our widows aren't getting fed. And he's like, you know, this is really important, but it's not my job. Help Elijah Fire continue to make an impact around the world. All donations go toward making Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. Visit ElijahFire.com slash give and become a partner today. Important, but somebody needs to do it. It's not us. We got to do this, but somebody should do that. Go find people full of the spirit and full of wisdom. So they go find seven men full of spirit, full of wisdom, lay hands on them. All right, take care of these needs of the people. That's when you see this distinction begin to emerge between ones who do the work and ones who oversee the work. Mm-hmm. All right. And the overseer is to the one who ensures the work is done correctly. Like that's what it means. And so you've got within houses, the diaconos, these ones who are doing the work, these ones who are seeing to the maturing of the body. And there's qualifications for that in first Timothy that people can read first Timothy three. And so, and the qualifications are not as much as the ones who oversee the work in the early church, you have people, you know, they just get saved. And a couple months later, they're overseeing the work or they're doing the work, you know, they're deacon, mm-hmm. they're, they're helping to mature the body. They're leading houses. You know, when you talk about the church at such and such a place, it wasn't a building. It wasn't a huge group of people. It was split up into houses. I heard recently, I think in Ephesus at one point, there was a thousand houses. That's awesome. Don't quote, but like, I believe that I read that somewhere and I can't quote it. So don't use it as like the law, but point is, you know, you're speaking to a region, not speaking to an individual body of believers, how we see it today. It's, it wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. so there's leadership in that space, which does the work of loving each other, the one another's. This is where you're gathering for food, for fellowship, the Acts 2, 42, you know, we're breaking bread, we're doing stuff. Great. So you've got your spiritual family where you can be vulnerable, where you can grow into the likeness of Christ, where you can you know, grow up into all things, become spiritually mature. And then you've got the apostles, the prophets, um, the teachers, the evangelists. You've got them moving, you know, among the body, mm-hmm. planting what, what needs to be planted, giving what needs to be given, going on these different apostolic journeys. We call it missionary journeys because like, you know, we're in English, but they're going on these apostolic assignments into different regions to sometimes stay with them, help plant, help raise up leadership, help delegate, but they were not planted in one place in the same way. And that's where we understand sphere. What sphere has God <laughs> given to you in order to do the work? Cause some, one apostle might have a sphere of a certain city. Another might have a sphere of a certain nation or nations. And it, it isn't comparison again. Like, why do you compare yourselves among yourselves? You're not wise, right? Because yeah. when you understand who you are and what your assignment is, you'll understand how important it is. There are people who need to only be focused on a specific city for the sake of that city and the depth of what the work that God's calling you to do. And someone else may be assigned to the whole nation. It's assignment. It has nothing to do with value. And that's where you realize we we have real issues with identity. When we don't understand, we can't separate. Oh, well, your assignment feels more important than my assignment. Why? (laughs) That's a, that's a hard. Yeah. Cause we elevate, we elevate one assignment over another like in our in our Western culture and our mindsets where it's like, oh, well, if somebody's assigned to be um, a leader over a whole region, obviously that comes with more, I don't know, fame, glory, whatever, whatever, you know. We've been taught to love. Oh, the fleshly thing. Yeah. Yeah. We've been taught to love influence. We've been taught that if you're more influential, you are more important. Right. It's, that's celebrity that God yeah. is pulling out of the church because with great authority, with great responsibility, or sorry, with great, um, you know, 
influence, whatever comes really crazy responsibility. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I don't think anybody who has a lot of influence right now would really wish it on anybody, to be honest. It's it's not like better. It's just different. Um, you know, so yeah. I think that, um, you know, as we kind of look at the hub and what what's the le- like, how do you lead in that way? Well, you have to then come to fivefold ministry and understanding fivefold ministry. So let's just say somebody is at a conference, someone calls out to them, oh, like you're a prophet to the nations. And they're like, what? No way. Like I am. So then they go out from that meeting and they basically just, you know, go into their region like, hey, I'm a prophet to the nations now. So so you guys know. No, of course not. Right. And this is when we have to understand the relational, um, the relational infrastructure of the kingdom. See, we've functioned in structure instead of relationship. Mm-hmm. And so we don't understand how to function, right? Because we've looked to function first. And so we've got to come back to relationship first. And we understand that that everything is born through relationship. And so the co-laborers in your sphere of influence, you actually have to be in real relationships with them. You have to be known. You have to be all up in each other's lives. There is an accountability that comes with functioning in this kind of way that you're never going to get from a piece of paper from somebody who like ordained you once that you've never met and they mailed you your certificate in the mail. I used to have an ordination like that. I never even met the people. I just paid $45 a month. God said, tear it up and stop paying them your money. He said, I'm bringing you into real covenant so that you understand how to function with other people for real. Yeah. And so we're covenant people and he's trying to teach the fivefold how to operate in covenant and how to operate in maturity. So then how do you get to that point? Yeah. Well, even what you were saying before about like the maturing of the saints, even going beyond like, it just sounds like the way you were setting it up at the beginning of the episode. Um, you can't, you almost can't get to true full maturity. Well, what it, what it sounds like to me, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. We can't do that in just a once a week service like we have now you just you just can't get there because that's not intimate enough to like be in that kind of relationship or level of relationship with people to actually bring people into full maturity i don't know if you have more thoughts on that no i mean definitely not i mean you have to look at why are we put in a family because Mm -hmm. it's relationships you know ideally right let's think about like a healthy example it's relationships you can't escape (laughs) You're going to have to be forced to deal with every issue that comes up. You're going to be fully seen in your strength and weakness. You're going to be loved and forgiven no matter what. And there's an expectation for you to continue to grow and continue to mature and to receive from who you need to receive from and to contribute what you have. And so when you're in safety, when you're in safe relationships, it's the only place where we truly reach our potential because Mm -hmm. there's an absence of fear of being abandoned, fear of being rejected a fear that, you know, oh, I messed it up too bad. No one's going to forgive me, whatever. So there, there has to be these places of koinonia, right? Which is the, I'm committed to you. Like I'm committed to Jesus. Yeah. And this is the communion that we've been restored to in Christ, but you're never going to have that kind of communion with more than some, right? And this is, this is the oikos of scripture. There's the oikos, which is the family of God, the home, right? Everybody must have oikos to continue to grow. And to continue growing in, in safety. Mm-hmm. But then you also need, that's the family of God. But then we are the army of God, which is the concept of the hub. We are being trained and equipped to rule and to go. And so, you know, when it comes to even, you know, 
obviously all saints need to be matured to their ministry. That includes fivefold leaders, you know, so it's typically in the oikos, right? In that home kind of environment, or as they start to interact within the hub, things like that, you're starting to recognize that leadership as that person is, is assigned to that, right? Everybody has different assignments. Okay. So if the, if these group of people right here are also assigned to be apostles, and that's something God really is, you know, needing to mature them into, then that now also is the responsibility of the leadership to mature them into that calling and to help them come on that in, through that process. And so going back to kind of what I said before, someone said, oh, you know, I'm, oh, I'm a prophet. And so I'm a prophet now. It's like, well, no, you're not. The calling is, hey, this is what God is saying. He's about to turn you into. <laughs> like when God, when God brings the confirmation of our call, particularly with fivefold ministry, because you are the gift, which means you have to be emptied and you have to be mm -hmm. filled with Christ, which takes extreme purification. If you don't jump out too early, you'll really become the thing that he wants you to be. And so the process of becoming that ministry is so extreme because he really does want you to be the gift to the body that, that he desires and to operate truly in his authority with love. Um, and so the process that many people go to, to really come to that level of functioning in that ministry is years, years and years, you know, and then when you are functioning in ministry, well, now you've just come into co-laboring with others in that sphere. It's a very different understanding to, you know, well, who's above you? Like, I, I can't, this, this is not about covering yeah. right now, so I won't go into it too deeply, but it's a very different. So we have to remember, we have relational alignment. We have functional mm -hmm. alignment. We're co-laboring in spheres that's functional, which must be, you know, we must have relationship, but what kind of relationship? Well, there's different relationships among co-laborers. Timothy calls, um, or sorry, Paul calls Timothy and Titus, both co-worker and son. And the interesting thing, he calls him son five years later. And in one case, 10 years later, then he calls him co-laborer. Interesting. So Paul is understanding. Yeah. Paul's understanding. Yes. You're my son in the gospel. Like I raised you up, but I also understand in function that you're a co-laborer. Mm -hmm. So I'm not trying to stay above you for the sake of something, building my own ministry. I need to have this like levels of attainment in, you know, whatever my son, my son, no, they're not your son forever in the sense of being under you. There's yeah. a point where a parent wants their child to go out into the world and to not need them is actually an insecure leader that needs people to need them. That That's like a whole paradigm shift. Like, yeah, I'm gonna have to think on that one for a, for a little bit, <laughs> but it's, it's just interesting. Cause like, we don't like, I don't see I guess even like real time examples of this now where we have people who are being raised up under leader under, you know, leaders and then them being released to be like almost on the same level as like a, a parent and then an adult child, you know, kind of like the relationship with your parents as you become an adult really changes a lot when you become right. an adult. Like I know for my mom and myself, like we're like BFFs um and we can relate to each other like as adults which is which is awesome and we're kind of going through similar life situations which is really weird but but yeah I just never really thought about putting that like in the conscience of the body of Christ where like you're raising people up to be on on your level and even to go further than you right that's the yeah. that's relating as a father and not a you know slave teaching people tasks and and how to keep rules and the things they need to know but you're actually raising them through the spirit in relationship that they might become mature 
and able to function without you. It Now that doesn't mean you don't still choose relationship, but you're choosing it out of love, not out of obligation. Mm-hmm. And there's a real difference to that. It's not a fear-based relationship. It's not a control-based relationship. It's a love-based relationship. And there's still people like in my life, I have people much older than me who follow my leadership, which still is kind of funny to me. Like, you know, like who, where I'm like training them. I'm like, but you're like 60 and this is kind of weird, like blowing my mind a little bit. But then there's people who are older than me and younger than me that I respect in different ways. When you think of like the fathering, mothering, where (laughs) even though they might like be learning from me, they could call me out because I see them as a father or a mother relationally. Right. And so there's an ability for them to be like, Hey, like, what's going on with this? Or many of my peers could call me out and have, or there's things that are going on in my life. And it's like, there is like a full openness among the people that are core relationships with us. I have more fellowship and oikos, if you will, in my life now than I ever had in that triangle structure where I was running with people because we're on the same staff or we're doing this. Like that wasn't even real oikos. That wasn't even real covenantal relationship. It's like for for the first, for the last, like I'd say two years, we're finally functioning in that covenantal kind of relationship. And it's been exponentially fruitful in our lives as leaders, you know? So the way that God, God continues to change your oikos, let's say, and this is particularly among leadership. And when we look at leadership that comes into that hub, the cluster, right? The court, there's no lone ranger in the kingdom. So you want to talk about accountability, all this Mm -hmm. stuff. There's nobody who's like, well, I'm a prophet to the nation, but I run with no one. It's like, that is dangerous. I'm an apostle and I have no friends. I just go around, you know, doing ministry. That is dangerous. So that to me is why people are crying out. Who's your covering? Who's your cover? Well, usually people cry out because they don't know because they just think that that's what they're supposed to say. But I mean, like, it's not covering like this, like the whole triangle structure of how we made things like this is not a biblical paradigm, but it doesn't mean that there's not accountability. It doesn't mean that there's not fellowship and relationship. It doesn't mean that people can't, you know, like call you and say, Hey, like, why are you teaching this? Help me understand. I think you're wrong. And when you actually are functioning in maturity and love, it's pride. If you can't actually do that with people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've, I've never had an issue with the submit to one another in love since I've actually had relationships that function in the right way. Versus the people who are just like, well, let's meet at nine and let me know, is there any sin in your life once a week so we can pray through it so I can keep you accountable. This is a very legalistic way of understanding. I don't need somebody in my life to just like ask me, hey, are you going okay with all those sins we talked about? It's like, no, you need to function in love where you really do see each other, understand each other. There's vulnerability in your life. You're Mm -hmm. coming. Like I've told on myself. To people like, Hey, this is going on in my life. Like I just, I need some help, like navigating this situation. I need some prayer. I need, you know, like I am not getting this, but when you, when you actually function in real relationships, that's how it works. Yeah. And so when people won't function like that, yeah. Like there's all that's, that to me is a bigger reason, you know, about like the, the people falling and people going crazy. It's, it's not because they didn't have fake covering. It's not because they didn't have a piece of paper on their wall. It's because they don't have real oikos. They don't have vulnerable relationships with other leaders who see them and know them and where there's legitimate and authentic exchange. Yeah. 
It's so wild because, like, we, it's a common phrase in the church, like, we always talk about, like, God's relational God. And it's so interesting, like, everything you're saying as far as, like, how the church is shifting, it's all falling back onto real vulnerable relationships, real vulnerable relationships. Like, you have to get real with people around you to make this work and to work properly and the way God designed it, which it should be, it should be simple, right? It should be a simple concept, but we've just, we've gone so far away from that, that now this is like totally 100% foreign, which uh, it's just, yeah, mind-blowing stuff every time I listen to you, Rama. It's amazing. But I know we're kind of running, running short of time. I don't know how you're doing on time, but um, if we wanted to, because I know we talked about this backstage, um, about what the Ecclesia actually means, and even in getting in those close relationships, how to, if if everything's based on a relationship basis, and people are in closer knit circles and in each other's homes and stuff like that, how do we establish boundaries? I don't know if we have time to hit that. Maybe we can save that for later. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, I think there's going to be some mess as we build something new. Um, I mean, I I can't say that that's been like a huge issue, you know, with life together. I think, you know, within there's also the thing too, like there's always going to be some people who are going to need more care than the average Mm -hmm. person. They're going to need more attention. They're going to need more, more, more healing. And so can you just throw anybody into a house church and be like, you're going to be great if you just read the Bible and do life together? No, because some people are so broken, so wounded. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been through so much fragmentation. You know, they, they are going to need specialized care. You know, as you care for a part of the body that's broken, they're going to need a different level of care before they really can even come into functional human exchange, you know, and that's, that's where you have different ministries and different expressions, like where God is birthing these things generally through the saints, you know, where you've got somebody where like, I have a passion, you know, to heal trauma. I have a passion to work with people that are needing this. I have a passion, you know, to care for the homeless, to restore their lives. I have a passion, people coming out of prison, teaching them life skills. This is where all of this begins to function in that ecosystem in a region where you really are caring for the needs of people who have, who are, tend to be more needy. So like when you look at a church environment and you're like, dang, like those people really don't understand boundaries. You know, I've had people in house churches, they'll be like, people come over and like, I'm like, Hey, it's one o'clock. Like, I think we're going to wrap it up. And they're like sitting on the couch. They're opening up. There's a, and you're like, no, but we're going to end now. And like, it's time to go. It's family time. And you know, people just aren't getting the clue or they're coming early or they're doing this. So there's a lot to navigate sometimes. And this is where we learn how to do family. This is where we actually learn not to have the fear of man. This is where we learn to have direct conversations. This is where we learn, like, we can't live fake lives. We all might hurt their feelings. Yeah, you might, but their feelings might need to get hurt so they can grow, so they can change. Mm, And so there begins to be this, this realness, you know, that when you get around a real family and a healthy family, there's real conversations. There's real, hey, I don't like it when you do that. There's real, like, this actually is not going to work for me. You know, and, and and we have to be able to talk about those kinds of things, especially in a world like today where everybody's so offended always about everything. That's not going to fly. Like as we start to have real authentic connection with other believers, we're going to have to navigate sometimes the things that normally disconnect us. Mm. We're going to have to be more committed to each other. And how do we find that kind of commitment? Well, it's the agape. It's the love of Christ born in us. It's the bond of the spirit. 
right? It's not because we believe all the same things. We have all the same boundaries already. We agree on everything. It's because we agree on the one thing, Jesus, and we're now following in his way from different starting points, but I'm going to choose to love you even when I don't Mm -hmm. like you. This is, this is the nature of covenantal love, right? This is how marriages make it because they're like, I don't even like you that year. I remember that year when I didn't even like you, but I had a covenant Mm-hmm. But I was committed to being with you. I was committed to being for you. And so there has to be a level of commitment to one another that the church has really not stepped into before because we've been so me centered and we've been so everything's been so optional, you know, like in the early church, it's like, well, where do you live? Ephesus. Cool. Go to the church in Ephesus, wherever it is that you live. Right. It, it's it, there isn't like, well, what's your favorite? What's your favorite worship music? What's your favorite kind of team structure? What's your favorite thing? Well, do you like that pastor's messages or do you like that pastor's message? All of this like weird um, preference, like we're shopping for groceries or something like this is, this is based on an individualistic, selfish understanding of the kingdom. This is not who we are. Yeah. We're actually called to a sacrificial love that makes space for people and makes space for them to grow together into the fullness of Christ. And so it, it requires greater death constantly, you know? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's like, that's a lot. That's a lot to chew on. But I'm, I'm really glad that we're having these conversations now because I think what it'll do is it'll help give people some kind of like, I guess for lack of a better word, framework to fall back on as things are shifting into like this new, this new structure which I'm really excited. I'm really excited to see what God's going to do with the church and actually like how he's going to set people up to get connected into these groups and get connected into relationships. So I think that's really the missing piece is just finding people who you can be deeply connected to and start just um, start with the group you have. I mean, do you have any um, practicals, like practical advice? Like if somebody wanted to take this idea, like, okay, the hub structure and then um however that cluster that look that looks how do people like practically start implementing that into their everyday life how do they start so that depends on who the person is who's asking that question right so if the person asking that question has a calling from god to pioneer a hub right and they've been hearing like oh i wake up with dreams let's say apostolic hub and i don't like know what that is you know or they're feeling yeah. like you know i know i'm called to lead in the church I know I'm called to a new wineskin. I feel all this stuff in me, but I don't have language for it. It's like that person, you need to come into a community of, of, of leaders. You need to come into a new wineskin community. You know, I have a community called the fivefold circle, and this is several hundred fivefold leaders who are moving together into the new wineskin. Um, and then there's people who, you know, feeling particularly called to pioneer hubs in their regions. And this would primarily be apostles. You know, prophets might be called to come there. They come alongside apostles and prophets of the foundation. Um, but apostles are tech building, right? They're doing the work. And mm-hmm. so there's, there's people who are running together in that all over the nation and all over the world. And so I would, you know, more share that. I won't share that publicly right now because just because of what we're doing and building, but I would share that with people as they kind of come into that circle environment, there's pathways to come into, you know, relationship and, and do that not alone. Cause I'd say there's a lot right now that we're needing to learn as we go and learn as we build. And I would not advise doing it on your own because 
the, the glue of the new wineskin is relationship. Mm-hmm. And so by doing it on your own, you, but you're violating the, the first principle, right? Yeah, Which is the purpose. Is yeah. The relationships with others and you're moving together, you know, in kingdom assignment. Um, and so I think that if you're speaking about a leader, that would kind of be what I'd say. If you're a person who's just like, oh, I'm just so hungry for the new wineskin. You know, I just really want to be a part of something new. Yeah. I'm hungry for house church. I'm hungry for, you know, this different expression. Well, um, one of the things that we're about to release is a map that actually shows all of the emerging hubs um, across the U.S. and Australia. So, and I think there's one or two in New Zealand and then uh, one or two in Europe as well, maybe three in Europe. So there's different um, opportunities where people can actually plug into these new wineskin communities directly. And then they can start to either, you know, come to the hubs, come into the houses, begin to just experience what this feels like and, and looks like. Um, so I think that will be a great resource to people too, because it's, it's so new, like yeah. what, where we're going, nobody has seen yet. It's not, we're, it's not here yet. We haven't seen it. We're not seeing it fully, but we're on our way there. And so it's, it's also an interesting thing to be saying, Hey, this is where we're going. And people are like, well, where is it working? I'm like, well, it's beginning to work. It's beginning to work in all kinds of places, but there's a place where we are. And there's a place where we're on the way to as well. And that's a part of that transition season where we have to like, and that's a part of the apostolic. I heard somebody say it today. Even I was on a a call today with some other apostles and one of them, I can't remember which one he's like, one of the functions of an apostle is to be in the future and building toward the future. Right. So it's like, you're seeing where we're going, you're building it now so that we actually can end up, end up there, Yeah, you know, and, and the prophets are bringing the revelation and the confirmation and the don't build it that way, but this way. And, you know, so that relationship is so, so important in that, in that paradigm. But anyway, I think that kind of answers. Yeah, totally. And people can get updates on that map from your website, correct? Yeah, we haven't released it yet. We're going to release it probably within about a week. Um, cool. But on, on my website, for sure, it'll be on there. Um, mm-hmm. And then also links to um, the community, the fivefold circle is on there as well. And awesome. we don't plant houses directly anymore. So um, we only plant hubs and support people who are planting hubs. And so we're building a, you know, the, that relational um, group of people who are planting hubs in different regions. Um, And then out of those hubs, people who want to plant house churches can actually just connect straight into those local, those local um, and regional works and do it with them. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Raymond, this was so, so good. I know I'm going to be thinking about a lot of this for a little while. So why don't you go ahead and pray us out and we'll, we'll close this thing up. Sure. All right. Well, thank you, yeah. Lord, for your new wineskin. Thank you, God, for what you are birthing on the earth. And I pray, Lord, for those who have ears to hear and hearts to understand what you're doing and that you've prepared so many hearts to transition in this day and to transition in, in this time. And I pray, Lord, that we would all walk in humility. You know, no, none of us has all the answers. You know, we see in part. And so I thank you that you're raising up, you know, people who can see and hear and 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 those who have you know, eyes to see what you're doing. And I pray God that, um, that we really would look to Jesus, all of us, because he is leading us to a new place. He's leading us into the inheritance of the saints. He's leading us into a place where the body understands how to rule and reign and to reveal Christ to the earth. Lord, that you would get your reward through your body. 
that you would have a mature church on the earth that reflects your glory. And that is a safe place for the lost who are coming. And, you know, there's such an emphasis in this season that, you know, God is preparing the net because of what's coming. He's not bringing them into a dysfunctional family. He's wanting to bring the lost into the functional and mature body that we might really be able to to have nets that don't break and lose the catch and lose the overflow that's about to be poured out. So God, for the builders, for the people that you are calling in this season to step into the new, I pray you give them courage, you give them insight, you give them strength and bravery, Lord, as they as they look at what they're losing and you would encourage them what they're gaining, you know, that they wouldn't believe the lie that it's going to cost too much, but they would believe that what you have in front of them, what you have prepared for them in obedience is going to be better than what they had at first. The new wine, Lord, is better than what we had at first, that we would trust you in that no matter the cost in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rima, so, so much. This was so good. So why don't you tell people how they can follow you? Yeah, it's just my name, Facebook, my name on Instagram, and my name is my website. So it's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, guys. Well, that's our show. Thank you so much for being with us. Tomorrow, we have kind of a change of plan. So originally, we were going to do a Valentine's Day special with the lovely Jeff and Lauren. However, with Jeff being under the weather, we're um, we're postponed. Well, not postponed. We're canceling that. So we'll have to do something else with them later. But um, instead of doing that tomorrow, we're actually going to be re-airing an episode from Costin and Mandy Woodhouse, um, episode 266. So for those of you guys who missed that episode, we're just going to re-air it tomorrow live. Um, make sure you don't miss it. Costin and Mandy talked about righteousness, wisdom, and truth and not forsaking those three things, like how important it is. And even talked about like some things about feminism and transgenderism and uh, even uh, talking about offense and how offense is a perversion of justice and Mandy just coming in with the identity piece as always. And I just, just love love Costin and Mandy so make sure you guys don't miss that tomorrow 2 p.m pacific time 5 p.m eastern guys we love you thank you for tuning in okay bye this has been Elijah Fire thanks for listening for more episodes like this you can check out the Elijah Fire podcast on ElijahFire.com on Apple Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts you can watch us live every weekday at 2 p.m pacific time on YouTube Rumble Twitch and Facebook Elijah Fire is presented by Elijah Streams and is part of Elijah List Ministries. Go to ElijahFire.com slash give for more info on how you can donate today.